Hey everyone, this is the um, Nips and Sips podcast uh, featuring me. I'm Dr. Jeremy Boyd and uh, Dr. Brandon Cruz over there. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, using manual therapy, not just purely as an intervention, but as an assessment tool. I think we too much limit ourselves as it's purely there just to make f- patients feel better, but we can actually use it as part of our examination and um, develop a better plan of care as a result of it. But before I get too much into, into things, let me pass off to my partner, Crime. Brandon, how's it going? Going well. Thanks for the introduction, Chair. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to, to really talk about this one. Uh, There's definitely a passion of mine, and I think you share the same uh, or similar sentiment. Uh, but you know, before we go to that, let's look at our drinks. So I'm actually switching up today. I'm having a Stella uh, only because uh, I was on a call earlier, and I left the house and forgot to restock my, my bourbon. And luckily, I had random uh, beer in the fridge of my office. So that's what we had earlier. I was uh, on an EPSIG uh, group. So it's early professional special interest group for AOMT, uh, trying to start that up, kind of get younger clinicians, third years, uh, first couple year clinicians out, and even, you know, some seasoned clinicians that, uh, you know, perhaps want to do a fellowship or get involved uh, and kind of start a platform uh, for those individuals, I know Jerry, you're involved in it uh, as well, uh, though you weren't in, on today's call. Uh, so that's what I was doing this morning. And uh, what about you, Jerry? What, what you been up to? I uh, just been uh, working on some of uh, some projects for the the clinic and everything like that that we have got going on for the next couple of weeks. Um, but uh, yeah, very interested and excited about that group. And um, yeah, as we mentioned before, those first couple of years in a new grad. Uh, career is uh, kind of sets a tone for the rest of your career. So groups like this can help uh, with mentorship or just being around like-minded individuals. But what I got going on today um, is a mango kush, kush weed ale um, from the 420 strain of Sweetwater. I've actually got a couple six packs of this. I'm a huge, um, not big flavored beer guy unless it's mango. Uh, there's a couple other flavors I do actually enjoy, but mango, mango beer, I think just work together. Uh, so yeah, I got some 420 vibes to it. Uh, what I'm going to do differently now, I'm going to crack the beer open now, and now I'm going to start rating it like the barstool guy. Uh, I'm going to do my own version on tap. I've had a couple of these. I'm a big fan of this beer. Um, Is that a sour beer? Huh? Is that a sour beer? Most mango. No, it's a wheat ale. Oh, uh, it's just a wheat. Yeah, it's super good. I'll save you one. Oh, I'm drinking out of my uh, themed uh, <laughs> cup here. Um, cup. Got this in the, huh? Said your chronic cup. My chronic cup. You know, crush, you know, feel it. You know, it, it fit well. Um, I got this in uh, in Montreal. How to get at that place that we were all recovering at. Um, yeah, it's definitely got some uh, hemp smell vibes to it, but this is a... Nice. Oh, it's refreshing, especially today. It's like 80 some odd degrees outside. So um, mango is just a perfect touch. I give this a 8.2 on my uh, on the Jeremy Boyd scale. 10 being the best damn beer I've ever had. Um, huh? Like a pain scale. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But we're going into decimal points because I think it's going to get that, that tight towards the end. Um, really good beer. Um, don't know where Sweetwater is in all honesty, but, um, I picked this up at the liquor store. So, um, if I ever get a chance, I'd love to stop by, but, uh, before we 
go crazy with the beer there. Um, let's talk about uh, using manual therapy as an assessment tool. Uh, I know it wasn't something I started off my career doing. It was purely, you know, special tests and my objective exam um, or range of motion pulled out the goni. Let's do everything. Spend 20 minutes doing ankle range of motion measurements. And then, um, you know, I'd get some joint play assessment in. And then uh, after that, I would say, hey, you know, you know, maybe I'll have some time to do some manual therapy that I think may work. Um, and, or if I was crunch for time, give them their home exercise program and off they kind of went. Uh, probably did not do well for me in a terms of carryover or, uh, you know, people actually attending that second session. So um, luckily, you know, we were exposed to this in residency um, where we can do some manual therapy. You know, a lot of our assessments or joint, especially our joint play assessments can be converted into uh, some joint mobilizations as long as you, you know, take the time um, and, you know, you're specific with what you're trying to do. You can make an impact right there and then. So it's an awesome thing to start to get the client to buy in within the first couple minutes of your objective exam. But um, let me pass it off to Brandon. I think we're talking a little bit too long. Yeah, I think... Um, we rely too much on uh, that pathoanatomical diagnosis. And, and as you alluded to, those special tests, uh, you and I both take uh, interns pretty much year round uh, and, and see this a lot in uh, new grads and um, entry level clinicians and resident clinicians that are, that are early on, uh, you know, relying too much on spe those special tests. And what are those special tests designed to do? It's to try and give you an indication of what's going on. Um, but when somebody comes in, let's say with, you know, knee pain and, oh. and you know, you're thinking, All right, let me test my ACL or test my meniscus or, or test, uh, IT band syndrome or, or whatever. Um, you know, why are you, why are you testing that? Um, you know, what are you really looking for? Uh, and, and where I've, you know, I guess, gone to and evolved as a clinician is I'm trying to gauge my patient's response to treatment because at the end of the day, that's what really matters. It doesn't matter what diagnosis they have. What matters is can I provide them relief and can I, uh, you know, provide them more than relief, which is to get them pain-free, you know, permanently or, you know, introduce new movement patterns and et cetera. Uh, so that's where, you know, my response to treatment comes in more than, you know, their diagnosis. I, I, don't even care about the diagnosis half the time. I'm like, okay, okay, you know, go on a table, you know, tell me your story. I shouldn't say, okay, because I'm not brushing off the patient, but you know, they tell me the story, but then it's like, all right, let's see if you feel better with this because what if that knee pain is just referred pain from a, a stiff hip or mm -hmm. a referred pain from, you know, hypermobile hip lacking, you know, 20 degrees of internal rotation or lacking a posterior glide, or, or maybe it's coming from the lumbo pelvic region. Um, and you wouldn't know that unless you did your spring testing slash a, a manual intervention. Uh, and that's kind of what I want, um, you know, this episode to be about is how to get there. And, uh, I also know that, I know that also comes with, you know, pattern recognition and some experience, but hopefully the, uh, the younger clinicians and even maybe some older clinicians that maybe are stuck in stuck in their old ways can, you know, take a step back and, and look, uh, differently and how we can use it to, to diagnose and, and prognose. Um, but yeah, uh, with that, Jerry. Yeah. 
how, how do you use it um, in terms of diagnosing, um, in terms of replacing or, or putting emphasis on that pathoanatomical position? And I know you had also uh, talked about a, an article that kind of helped you with some initial framework early on um, in your career. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I am kind of went down that same route. I was very um, pathoanatomical when I came out, and I thought that was the best part of being a physical therapist or anyone in the orthopedic realm is you got, you know, fueled with all these diagnoses in, in PT school. You sound badass when you can say them correctly without, you know, screwing up like spinal thesis and those things and all those sort of things as, um, you know, it, it made, you know, it made you feel kind of like, oh, wow, I know what I'm talking about. And, and we know with all these studies of, you know, asymptomatic individuals and those sort of people with pathoanatomical, you know, diseases or illnesses um, or diseases or conditions um, that, you know, they're asymptomatic even with them. So, uh, yeah, making that transfer of like not putting as much uh, weight or taking all my diagnoses with a grain of salt was a big shift for me. At first I was like, no, shouldn't we be as I guess, smart as we can by providing these ultra detailed diagnosis. And in all reality, that doesn't really help anyone. Sure, they may have it, but what's nine out of 10 people going to do in this information saturated world? Just, they're just going to look crap up. Most of your stuff online is horror stories. That's going to feel more into their, if we're going to down that pain science rather than central sensitization and kind of hyping up the nervous system. So kind of getting away from that and just treating the client again over the diagnosis was, you know, a big, uh, huge thing for me. Let me share that, uh, that thing. It's called the script. Uh, I believe it was either inner residency or Ernie Gamble. Uh, uh, one of the, the owner of the last clinic I was at, um, he, he gave it to us. So it stands for the systematic clinical reasoning and physical therapy. So it was a good tool, um, to kind of force you to think outside of just where I first worked is purely, there was no direct access. It was purely whatever the physicians were saying. We were part of a hospital based system. So, um, it really didn't take much skill or anything like that. It was just like, all right, follow the rules impingements, you know, pec minor releases, some scap work, and that was it. You know, patellofemoral pain syndromes or chondromalacia, just work the hips and the quads or something. So um, it didn't take a whole lot of skill, but this, um, this tool is, is a tool to kind of help kind of guide things along. I won't go through all of it. I know it's mentioned in some fellowships. I know, I believe EIM. I know Baylor uses this. I think this was developed with Baylor. Um, but just kind of illustrates how you can use this model to kind of help guide you into more of a higher level of thinking. I'll kind of go over to the stages here. Um, but these are the how to use it. So the patient completes their profile and their body chart, just like they would at pretty much any clinic, at least I hope in every clinic. Um, we that you know, you're going at least over a body diagram. Uh, you fill out the section, the first section of the script, which you start to formulate and 
prioritize early hypothesis. So based off of what they're just purely writing, you should already develop kind of a hypothesis. Um, then you complete a patient history uh, with it, with the client, and then you reprioritize your hypothesis. Then you start to fill out a couple little sections of you know potential some history influences, and then you can conduct your physical exam, and then you reprioritize your hypothesis. So you can see it's just constantly shifting around what your hypothesis is by each stage in the game. And then before you, um, you can have, obviously if you're in a fellowship or residency model, you kind of discuss with your, your mentor or your mentee um, what you think is going on, what the plan of care is. Me and my you know, residence or student physical therapist, it's, we have a big conversation after that, the, uh, the subjective interview. And I'm like, all right, what are your primary, secondary, tertiary hypothesis? Because we are mostly a direct access clinic. And then they're able, I'm like, all right, based off of that, what do you want to look at? You know, X, Y, Z. All right. And then after that, I'm like, all right, what, what, what do you firmly believe is a diagnosis? And we discuss it. I'm like, all right, well, you know, test some things out, try and see if we can make it better right here, right now. So before you finish things, you can further screen, treat, or refer. And that's kind of that big piece is you can start that treatment before you're all said and done. But this is kind of how it goes. This is right after the client fills out their, their body diagram. Um, then it moves over kind of, this is your plan exam procedures, what you plan on it being for the next couple sessions. Uh, so it kind of like outlines some things, uh, but yeah, it's a cool tool. I don't, so much use it uh much anymore just seriously i'm not writing all this down um but it was a good tool to kind of start off things and kind of get you in that mentality of i have to think of what it is based off the information i have um, but another step or tool would be like maybe a step in that would be better be like were you able to modulate and change the symptoms with some sort of objective during your objective exam i think that would be the best thing if you they can add that. Yeah, and I want to. I want to add to that because I think of that whole thing, and you know, obviously, this stuff happens in an evolution. Uh, you know, we can't expect new grads and early commissions to have that that type one thinking, that pattern recognition, that advanced type um, reason, because we're relying a lot on experience. And and for what that is, is those those experienced clinicians, especially expert clinicians. Um, that you know have gone through especially the advanced training we know what or what we rely on is how somebody has responded to a previous treatment mm -hmm. that's where we're able to cut that corner and then see hey does this um all right the last 10 people i've had with low back pain responded to a manipulation i'm just going to try you know once i clear out my red flags i'm going to try manipulation see how the response and, and that's what uh we're talking about here when uh, we're looking at um, can we use manual therapy for a diagnosis or prognosis because standardly or, or typically, you know, especially in school, you're taught the stepwise uh, manner or even the script. Um, I don't want people to get hung up with a script. I want people to be able to ebb and flow in and out seamlessly. Um, you know, 80% of low back pain doesn't have an accurate diagnosis. It's nonspecific. So why are we trying to do all these special tests? to figure out a patho-anatomical diagnosis. No, the goal is to, to take a special test or even a treatment 
to see how they're going to respond to that. Um, you know, we're, we're taught, especially in entry level school, or at least mo most programs, and I understand to a degree it needs to be taught this way. You have your subjective, you do your special tests, you have an assessment, um, and then you develop your treatment plan. And with that treatment plan, we have to come up with a diagnosis and a prognosis. But how are we going to know a prognosis of they, we need to see them two times a week or three times a week for six weeks and they'll be better? How do we know that person won't respond very well to uh, manipulation, patient education, and, and two exercises, and they'll be better in you know three sessions or, or two weeks? Um, and, and you don't know that unless you perform uh, unless you perform that manual therapy as your as your assessment. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's where, you know, I think people really need to be going towards. And I know there's this movement of CPRs and, and are they dead now? You know, especially I think uh, even this year, this past year's at AM conference, uh, Chad Cook, and he's, he's made a few CPRs in his day. Uh, are they dead? And I don't think they are. I think the goal of a CPR is to try and determine what subgroup of patients are going to respond to a treatment. I think that's supposed to be where we start, not where we finished. And if it's where you're finishing, then yeah, that is dead. If you're using it as a starting place, then they're not dead. It's just giving you an initial framework to build off of. And then we go from there. No, that's perfect. Uh, actually, with all this talk, I decided to pull up my, what I presented at CSM uh, three or four years ago, maybe five. Actually, I'm getting old. Um, of how how we kind of use that platform of using manual therapy, and we essentially finished up the client in in three sessions. Could have been even quicker, but um, just to backtrack and going off of what you're saying of like how those experienced clinicians can cut corners because of ex you know essentially experience of like, all right, you know, I worked on gym and I tried this that worked. And then I'm working on Jane. Jane's kind of like Jim. I can try something like that on, that on Jane. And then three years down the line or something like that, like you got Bob who kind of presents like Jane but needs an own little spice. And you tried something with Heather and you're able to kind of combine things and evolve. Um, and that's the beauty of mentorship, uh, especially in-house mentorship, um, where it can be evolved right there and then. Um, is you know the mentorship just cuts all those corners starts to cut all those corners like oh yeah it took time to figure out that jim jan heather and bob all were kind of similar now it's just like i have a resident or i have a student or i have my you know pt in house i'm like all right i'm gonna tell you what worked for bob after my case load or my case or my population of n of 100 low back pain patients they respond to this but I always like to see what the the student or resident, what they offer first. I'm like, all right, that's great. Um, and they know my approach of, you know, implementing manual therapy as part of the examination. I'm like, that's a good technique. Try it. But, you know, you know, based off of certain things I see, they also may benefit from that. And they're like, why don't you try that if that technique um, didn't get all the way there? And more often than not, because of that experience value, it tends to go that way. Um Real quick, Jerry, I'm, up. Go ahead. Cutting corners. I said, I'm just saying, I don't think we should say we're cutting corners. I Not think cutting corners. We're, we're just expediting that process. Mm -hmm. and how better word, better word. Yeah, they're going through it, but, you know, 
instead of taking three, five, eight years, you're learning that in a year or two. Exactly. Um, and certain things, and we're talking about objective exams and stuff. Um, I can say, like, especially with mine, like, a good quarter or something of my objective exam is purely made up. Like, there's no books, research, things like that, where I could, you know, you know, find that. It's all like, all right, you know, let me test these things out. Um, you know, we talked about the shoulder symptom modification procedure, and it has its thing. It's really good for buy-in, but a lot of what that is is a manual placement of hands or shifting things around and seeing how that can, you know, lower their pain with something that we can compare it to, forward flexion of the shoulder. Taking that principle and applying it anywhere on the body, I think was the best thing that that whole article or uh, Jeremy Lewis's work gave me. It was like, all right, I have a athlete that hurts to squat. I can screw around with their kneecap, putting it in any position as a squat. And all of a sudden now they went from eight out of 10 to zero pain with just me manipulating the patella or the ankle. There's been times where I've, you know, added more of a dorsiflexion uh, component to it. And now it, it's pain free. That stuff isn't exactly research or anything like that, but that creativity of using your hands, applying manual therapy, um, or, you know, I think there's an issue, maybe I'll move their ankle for a little bit, two minutes, and then have them hop into that squat now. And now it's pain free versus me being there doing the whole thing. The two questions um, here are two things. So first you did it, you learned to SNSMP on the shoulder. How long did it take you to do it on the shoulder and then that light bulb kind of go like, wait, I can do this to any joint? Because the article just talks about the shoulder. And I think shoulder. that's the thing. Like we're taught, people are taught that you're given an example of one thing and then you just do it for that one thing. And then for, for I don't know, every, it varies for everybody. But then you realize, oh, I can do this here. I can do this here. I can do this mm -hmm. here. And you're not tied into that box. And, and I think yeah. that's to convey out there is not being tied into a box but when you understand the principle you can then apply it towards, towards whatever yeah. or another principle that i think we talked on the shoulder uh, uh, on the show is um cervical mobilizations uh with nerve glides i think that's research but not so much in the lumbar it was yeah. like all right what's holding me from actually experimenting with that nothing yeah i only an article to reference you know good practice and try to make my patient feel better right now. Um, but when did that happen? I think I fully kind of flourished into it when I started trifecta. Um, but probably dabbled with it. It probably took me at least six months to after learning it. Maybe I was, I'm trying to think of like, I remember the knee vividly. It was just like, I want to screw around with the knee just like I would do the shoulder. I want to say maybe six months to a year after that, that's when maybe a more basic thing like a knee, I'd do it. Okay. The knee works. That's easy. And then I was like, wait, I can do this anywhere. That maybe took like six months a year. I don't know. Maybe I'll. Yeah, no, that, that's fine. Uh, it doesn't have to be exact, but I mean, we learned that in what, 2014, yeah. right? Something like that. You start to a year. That's 2015. You opened by effect and what? You're 17 and uh, it's 17. Yeah. So, so now you're looking to, to really hone into it. Um, you know, and hopefully people listening to this, it's like, all right, maybe it's that, that green light where they can expedite that process. And instead of that, taking them two years to fully dive into it, 
it becomes, uh, you know, six months. And I want to add to, to something. I, I hope I'm not throwing you off on your thought process. No, no, God. Uh, you know, with that, a few different points, because I think a lot of people uh, go into, okay, there's pain at the knee. Uh, and they, let's say they just did something at the knee and they didn't look at the ankle or the hip. And okay, they're just going to rely on a special test. A special test is so limited. I mean, they're, they're just shitty. Um, mm. So, you know, you being able to go down that road of, let me try this, let me try this. I mean, you, you only get that, I shouldn't say you only get that with your hands, but, you know, basically yeah. trying to see pa a patient's response to treatment. And, you know, while we're in COVID, let's talk about virtual. All right, you can't put your hands on somebody. And, you know, for your, oh, I, I, this doesn't work for virtual PT. Yeah, it does. Because at home, have the patient elevate their heels, have them elevate their toes, have them um, try a modification, whether it's manually or not, and see how they respond to treatment. That's going to then give you a clue on what you need to do. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've done some of these techniques over, over virtual. Um, I'll be like, all right, you know. I've even had someone you know, play around with their, like the kneecap of the squat. I'm like, all right, try and show them mobile, like a self patella thing. I'm like, hold that there as you try and like sit down. And they're like, oh, it's a little bit better. So little things to help them out. And another thing on special tests is, what do most special tests do is they're provocative. Most of them, or at least a chunk of them. Yeah. Um, so they're more likely to piss people off. And I know, especially, it's something I may have struggled with early. I think every student does is those, those clients that come in and they're pain free and they're like, Oh, I just, I, by the time I came in or doctor came in, they, I don't really have any pain today. And it's just like, well, I got to find something. And I guess the goal is like do like really hard resistive tests or some of these special tests and cook them up even more. I mean, that's, so that's, uh, that's ideal. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it, but you know, if that's what you need to kind of find some things, yeah, it's okay. Now you may have found some more information. I doubt it, but you better do something to fix it right there. Then cause they came in symptom free. You did some special tests to piss them off. And then, then what you're just going to be like, Oh, well, I figured out what's going on and I made it more worse, but we'll deal with this in the next session. No, at least try and make it better. But ideally, um, we're trying to, you know, not piss them off, make them feel even better. They probably have some motion problem still if they're coming into you um, and then addressing that. Or a lot of times, you know, you know, with our, you know, hands on our palpation. Yeah. They might have hip pain or something like that. In those situations, they come in, they're symptom free. And then you doing, Oh, you know, you know, the hell I'm going to still do a thorough examination. You're ready here. Uh, let's, you know, most of those individuals have had their pain on and off for a while. That's why they finally decided to get it checked. All right, let me put you through a thorough examination. And then you find out just with your spring testing or something like that, that, you know, it's something in the thoracolumbar or something like that, or in the lumbar spine, and that's reproducing their hip pain. And you're like, all right, well, actually, you know, it's something that you may need to work on in the back. So, um, you know, those are certain things, you know, the beauty of being able to actually do those sort of things. Um, but, um, yeah. Uh, what's that going to do? <laughs> yeah. So I know we, I got you off track here. Um, no, it was, it was good. Here we go. But we'll talk about, oh, there it is. I know you, this is old school. I'm trying to make another one. Uh, 
for AOMPT. Um, but this is what I did in residency, um, but using this same model. So it started off, um, you know, applying what we're talking about, but probably at a lesser, slightly lesser level um, with my client was, I remember we got his, his client had about pain for, uh, I believe a little less than two weeks. Um, had a previous history of C5, C6, uh, herniation, some impingement stuff. Um, I remember I had my student, Tony Gam. He was my first student. Um, I remember this guy really wanted to come in and it was like half an hour past what we would normally work. But I was like, screw it. We'll stay. And I remember seeing his, his, his paperwork ahead of time. And we used photo focus on therapeutic outcomes. Um, and I remember seeing this and with my train, it was this and maybe a couple other things. Um, didn't see I had any past medical history and with just this, so kind of using that script model, I was like, I bet you there's something wrong with this, you know, C7 lower thoracic spine, just on the referral pain pattern. I was like, I bet you if we, I remember telling Tony this, I bet you if we hit that, he's going to feel like a million bucks. So obviously I was biased towards it. So, um, but that's exactly what we did. Like we did some examination during the examination, joint player mobilizations of a C5, C6, C7 reproduced his pain more towards his shoulder. So that kind of confirmed things. So uh, long story short, did like the, did the CH, um, CT junction. I think I did a mid-thoracic mobile uh, manipulation as well. Um, maybe anthrosomopes to kind of start off and it went from a, was he a six out of 10 pain? And I think he went all the way down to zero. Uh, second session, he had like a one or two out of 10 pain, repeated the intervention, he was completely symptom free. And then the third one, he was pretty much just coming in for a discharge follow-up. Here's what you gotta do to make sure this doesn't happen to you again. But that was using that kind of mind frame. And um, so I had an idea based off of, you know, experience, residency training, but what the objective doing the palpation or the mobilization that confirmed things of, yeah. of, and pretty much that examination did not take long one because it's already very working overtime. Yeah. I was like, all right, I see this here. It seems a little stiff. Let me do a couple of quick manipulations or techniques. And he was, he was better, better right there. And I think it, we evaluated him within like 30, 45 minutes, everything that's, also. That, that's a great, um, uh, I guess story or, or case um, the way you presented it because you you uh, saw the subjective you you took the subjective you recognized the pain pattern you recognized it was a somatic referral from those the lower C uh, uh, lower cervical region you didn't do a bunch of special tests you said okay I think it might be from here let me just assess it real quick and provide an intervention and see how they feel. If they feel great, cool, I know I'm on the right track. If they don't, all right, now I, I go back and, and check some other things. But And, and that's what we're, we're taught here, if you guys can see. Examination, then do your evaluation, then do a, uh, you know, make your diagnosis. Then you're going to say, okay, be, based on this diagnosis that's pathoanatomical, we're going to say this is our prognosis. Then we're going to do our intervention and see how somebody responds. When you could cut all that stuff out um, and – if you have an idea of where something might be, just 
try and do whatever that intervention would be ahead of time and see how they respond. Um, so, you know, why have that old way? And then, uh, I mean, that, that PowerPoint there is from, from my Regis fellowship and you and I obviously were, were doing it before, but I think obviously we refined it with time. And for me, it was really refined and even put into words. So I knew what I was actually doing when I went through my fellowship and Cam McDonald made this and, uh, that dude's a genius, and I, I I love my time with him. He's awesome, but I mean, he puts it in, in great words here that you know the prognosis is a prediction of the course of duration and outcome of a disease. Keyword based on the pathogenesis, another keyword of the disease and the presence of risk factors for the disease. It is established after the diagnosis is made and before the treatment plan plan is established. However, for us, what we do that is where the problem lies. We are not medical physicians. We are not trying to just give somebody a diagnosis and send them out the door with some drugs or an injection. Our job is to find what modifies their symptoms or what they respond to, to then, you know, have them improve their quality of life and all that other good stuff, um, or, or have them live pain-free or, or impairment-free or, or whatever the case may be and not have this emphasis on disease and pathoanatomy and pathogenesis. Um, and, and that's where, uh, you know, we have that hybrid, you know, we have the best of both worlds, but we need to not really just focus in on a diagnosis. Cause Jer, if you had to give that case of yours a diagnosis, what would you even give it a, a ridiculopathy maybe? Yeah, I guess so. Um, I, I would love to have those notes with me, but it was, I think I left it as like non-specific yeah then they go into the weeds of it then they refer out or anything like that for a formal diagnosis and you know he did great the guy so. he didn't have a diagnosis no he he probably just was relieved that you got rid of his pain in, in 20 minutes yeah that was it he was he was loving it by the time he he left so um and you know we talked about this with manuel oh like did he need it those sort of things so like yeah he went two weeks without getting any better he was exercising he was in the gym he tried doing stretches didn't get any better and then we did a couple of quick techniques and went on his way and uh yes i know in the fellowship model they would say hey you know you should have fixed him in one to two sessions but <laughs> I, was, I was a young bull <laughs> um but um, no, it was, uh, it, was a good, it was a good case to kind of demonstrate those sort of things. And um, so, and he, he referred people to us all the time as a result of it. So you have, uh, uh, you know, kind of a marketer for life, someone who's going to just spread the good word of, you need someone to go get fixed. Uh, Jeremy's your guy. So, mm -hmm. so um, he wrote us a nice review from what I remember, I think. So um but uh, yeah, I mean, that's, is there any, any other nuggets there? Uh, no, I, I think that, that that's it without um, just kind of rambling on. I mean, obviously there's more to it. Uh, you know, this stuff takes time. Uh, if you have somebody who's gone through this process and has higher level thinking, um, you know, it's going to, you know, only help that. But I think there may be just some key concepts to, to kind of wrap up with. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's embracing and, and to, to give credit before I continue on, um, the slide I showed, like I said, was from my fellowship program. Uh, Cam created it. It's called the dynamic wheel. It's basically saying how um, we need to not think linear, linearly, but understand that, um, 
you know, pieces can be intertwined and moved around and, and you can jump ahead and do an intervention before you go and do a full exam. Uh, mm -hmm. I think he had a saying and hopefully I, I don't butcher it, but what, something he tells his entry level students and, and when he, I guess, took, um, took interns and stuff is his ex expectations of an entry level clinician is to be able to perform a full and thorough uh, evaluation, uh, but they won't need to do it or they won't, they won't always do it, something along those lines. And, and basically is you have the skill set and knowledge to perform, you know, that in-depth evaluation that we're taught in uh, via textbook and, and via school. But to be a good clinician, you, you don't need to. It's knowing when and where and how to, you know, plug those, those pieces in. So I just wanted to, um, you know, say where, where and what this is from, the dynamic wheel from Regis University and, you know, not take credit for that. But um, it, it comes down to um, embracing those three elements. And we've talked about this multiple times on, on our show here. Uh, Evidence-based practice, the three pillars are, are patient values, clinic, uh, clinicians experience, um, and, and the research. Uh, but, you know, also um, utilizing test retest. I think that's the biggest thing. Find the asterisk sign. Uh, find a technique that makes them better. Uh, like you were saying, those special tests are uh, a lot of times provocative. All right, maybe use a special test to provoke symptoms. Then you do a technique. Then you do a special test again. Did it get better? Uh, you know, I think that's um, that's that should be our lit litmus uh, rather than trying to find a pathoanatomical diagnosis. But anything else to wrap up on your end, Jer? Yeah. Um, no, and if you do things like that, you know, you can afterwards and you can kind of steer away more from the special tests or rely on them or diagnosis or those sort of things. And you can have an idea of like, Oh yeah, this person probably has a meniscus tear, but we well, you know what's the value in doing the test just to further confirm that or anything like that. But you can actually spend more time investing in how to make them better. And then afterwards you can say, Hey, I, you know, when people ask you like, Oh, you know, can you fix meniscus tear? Like, yeah, I've had a lot of them without the need of surgery, uh, especially if they get into your hands first uh, with certain things. If you can, you can say, hey, I can, I can fix a meniscus tear without operation or her lumbar herniations or cervical. Um, so, you know, with spending more time trying to make them better. Obviously, there's a place for um, special tests and especially ruling out red flags or doing dealing with people with acute trauma or those sort of things. There's a, there's a place for them, but let's face it with how most of us are practicing those sort of things. Um, we're typically getting these people, um, a little bit later down in their road. So, um, you know, if you can be the one that figures them out ahead of time and especially individuals that have gone, through the medical system multiple times, other PTs, chiros, physicians. Um, I think we need to do more of this to be the final solution for them. So, but uh, yeah, no, that's, that's the last little thing I had to say about that. Um, wrap up my drink here. Very nice. One, two. Um, finished yours. Yeah, and I'm saying, how how you feeling with your uh, 420 edition there? 
It's good. It's good. It's a little bit lighter um, percentage compared to some, uh, and usually I get the, uh, was it the 16 ounce cans? And this was just a standard bottle of, I think it's like 5%. So I feel uh, pretty, pretty solid. Usually those big cans and they're 9% by the end of the show. I'm like, all right, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. <laughs> but um, no, uh, yeah, it was, it's pretty good. It's a I highly recommend. Um, but yeah, uh, if you guys have any questions or concerns or need help of any sorts, uh, feel free to reach out to us at Nips and Sips on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, our podcast is uh, available pretty much every major platform of iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, and all the other ones. Uh, our, po- our episodes are now going up on YouTube. That's also at Nips and Sips. Um, if you have any questions specifically for me, I'm at the decent doctor at trifecta therapeutics and brands at think like a fellow and at pursue PT. Now, uh, thanks for listening in and, uh, yeah, cheers everyone. Cheers guys.